Esther chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses uh, 10 through verse 22. And, uh, man, once again, just really excited about this study that we're doing through the book of Esther. We study God's Word because we believe in God's Word is where we find truth. In God's Word is where we can really gain the wisdom that we need to live this life to the fullest, to live this life to His honor and glory. And like I said before I prayed, church, we are... um, we're not interested in just playing church. We're not interested in just kind of being uh, existing and just getting along. It's not my goal that, you know, I can pastor here for 40 years and retire and, man, everything's good. That's not my goal. That's not my desire. That's not the heart of, the, uh, of this church. Our heart, our desire is to truly impact La Plata County with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our vision, the win, if you would say, you could say, what, what is this church all about? Like, what is the mountaintop? What's the peak? If we were going to climb to the top, what would it be? It would be disciples who are making disciples. If it's all dependent upon me, we're not going to go far. Um, it's going to fall flat. But if it's dependent upon God and the Holy Spirit working through us to use you and your circles of influence, to use you to witness to your family, to your friends, to your coworkers, to use me, to witness to my family, my friends, my co-workers. And we together are disciples of Jesus. Disciple means a follower, means a learner, means sold out for Him and His kingdom. We are disciples who are making disciples. Gosh, that's what it's all about, church. That's what we're encouraging you towards. Man, I hope and pray that you don't just come here week in and week out and just sit and soak and just take in and leave unchanged. That would be... That would be failure. That would not be the mountaintop. That would not be the peak. That would actually be the base of the mountain where you haven't even really begun. Our hope and our prayer is that you can get to the point. Some of you here this morning, you haven't even made that step to become a disciple of Jesus. And you're questioning and you're wondering, and that's okay. We, we encourage your questions. But church, we, we want you to make that step to become a follower of Jesus Christ. We as a church want to do our part to grow you up and we want to get you to a point where you are going out for His kingdom and for His glory. And if it's in this county, that's great. If it's in the world, that's great. We just want you to go out for His glory. Um, I have a message I need to preach. I better stop. Uh, It's good to see you. It's good to be here. God is good. Um, He's in control. He works all things out for His glory, even the, the smallest details. The book of Esther is where we're at. And and just really quickly, the book of Esther is a slice of history from the life of the Jewish people who were living in exile in Persia. And this remarkable story is proof that God did not forget about them. He did not forget about His people. He has not forgotten about you. Throughout the book of Esther, there's a beautiful message that's just kind of interwoven throughout this book. For anyone who's ever experienced brokenness. Anyone who's ever been crushed by life. Have you been crushed by life? Anyone who feels that his past is so discolored, so messed up, so wicked, there's no way that God could make any sense out of it or bring any meaning out of it. Esther is the story of an orphaned little girl shattered by the death of her parents. And years later, she becomes the key to the very survival of her people. Like only God can do such things. 
Only God can do that. Even though God is never mentioned in this book of Esther, it's referred to as the godless book. Even though God is never mentioned in the book of Esther, He is working silently behind the events of history. God is at work in your life. Even if you say, I've never seen it. He is at work in the life of His people, in your life. Even those of you that don't know Him, He's at work in history. Last week, in the, in the first nine verses that we covered of Esther, we saw the wealth and we saw the power of King Xerxes. He ruled over the largest empire in the history of the world to that day. The mighty Persian Empire, it covered roughly 3 million square miles. It's about the, the same size as the United States of America. He ruled over multiple people groups, languages, nations, cultures. He was in his mid-30s and he had so much wealth, he could throw a six-week, or I'm sorry, a six-month, rather, party for more than 15,000 people at a time. We talked about how his secret service was 10,000 bodyguards called the Immortals. He was worshipped like a god. And if someone tried to sit on his throne or even walk in, on the rug in front of his throne, they were executed. Women would be paraded before him so he could choose whichever one he wanted. The, the, the first chapter of this great book, Esther, is dedicated to this man, Xerxes. Xerxes the Great. The image that we're given is one who sits mighty on a throne. And it begins with the theme of kings and kingdoms. That's the theme that we begin this book of Esther with. So it begs the question, is this the best that we can get for a king? Is this the best that the world has to offer? Is this the type of kingdom that we should give our lives to? We'll start in Esther chapter 1, and we're going to begin in verse 10, and we're going to examine this great kingdom and this quote-unquote great king. And we learn, first of all, in Xerxes' great kingdom the greatest kingdom in the world. It's a kingdom that is a picture of the world. It's, it represents the world. We learn in this great kingdom that addictions are fed. Esther chapter 1 and verse 10. Let's begin reading. It says, On the seventh day, when the heart of the king was merry with wine. Okay, over the course of six months, Xerxes has been hosting the party of all parties. And... Uh, it's an enormous, it's lavish, it's extravagant, it's an open bar, all-you-can-eat, all-you-can-drink party. Roughly 15,000 men are present at this party, while the women, they were attending a separate party hosted by Queen Vashti. So there's 15,000 soldiers, they're partying for six months straight. It's an open bar, once again, all-you-can-eat. There are women at this party, but they're the women of the employed kind doing everything that is despicable and wicked. It's absolute wickedness just unleashed for six months. The six-month party ends with an even larger party for one week where everyone was over-consuming, including the king himself, because we just read that he was merry with wine. That's the biblical way of saying he's toasted. Okay, 
Now drinking, listen, drinking is not a sin. But overconsumption or drunkenness always is. So here we see men who are drinking themselves to drunkenness and the result is they start to make some very bad decisions. That's, that's what we do when we overdrink, right? There's a lot of you shaking your heads, yes. All right, you know from experience. So we see in Xerxes' kingdom, which is a picture of the world, that addictions are fed. This is how the world system works. This is the depravity of human nature. It's worldliness. The kingdom of the world helps you. It helps us to do the things that become addicting or enslaving. This is how Satan works, church. Satan will give you whatever you want. He'll give you whatever you want as long as he gets to be your king and as long as you serve his kingdom. Sex? Sure. Xerxes provided the harem. Drunkenness? Absolutely. Xerxes provided the bottomless goblets of gold to drink the very best wine. Overconsumption? Gluttony? In the worldly kingdom... You're welcome to overconsume, to partake with no guidelines, no rules. Just do as you please. It's all okay with Xerxes. And it's all okay with Satan. Now this, I know, I know this may frustrate some of you because you think, like God always seems to say no. And I want Him to say yes. Like the six-month frat party? It kind of sounds like fun. I want to be a part of it. And God always seems to say no. Okay, let's, 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 let's think through this logically, okay? Satan always says yes because he doesn't love you like a good father loves his children. A good father, one who loves his children, is willing to say no. If you... He says no, a good father says no when his children are about to do something that's going to harm themselves or harm others. You know, those of you who love you most, man, they're willing to tell you no. They're willing to tell you some hard things. They're willing to tell you the things that you actually don't want to hear because they love you. They're looking out for your best interest. Again, Xerxes is a picture of the world. The world system will not only give you what you want, they'll give you what you want in excess. They'll give you what you want to your own addiction. They'll give you what you want to your own destruction. And the fact is, is God loves you enough to say no. A good father doesn't say yes to every request of his children. Worldly kings, worldly kingdoms, they don't love you enough to say no. They'll give you whatever you want as long as they get to be your king and you get to be their obedient little citizen in their kingdom. Now listen, is is addiction... 
Come on, some of us, man, we're, we're in the thick of it right now. Some of us have been walking in victory over addiction. Some of us are maybe at the verge of becoming addicted. But let me just ask you, is addiction true freedom? Like just going all in and taking it all and, I mean, just no rules? Is that really true freedom? No. Come on, man. Some of us have been in the, in, in the thick of it, and we know that's not freedom. That's like the worst bondage ever. In Xerxes' kingdom, addictions were fed. Gasoline was poured on addictions. Verse 10 continues. He commanded Mehuman, Bistha, Harbona, Bigtha. I'm just going to tell you right now, okay? If I was Persian, I would go with the name Bigtha, all right? Because that's awesome. That sounds tough. It's a lot better than Littletha, Bigtha. You can just call me Bigtha. And uh, Abigatha, Zethar, and Carcass. That's a pretty good one, too. I would like that one. Um, the seven eunuchs who served in the presence of King Xerxes. Okay, so there's seven guys listed here. And let me just say really quick, the Bible deals with real people, uh, with real history, real circumstances. Uh, th- this isn't just philosophy, okay? We're not just philosophizing, if that's even a word. So here, there's seven eunuchs listed. And, and some of you might say, what is a eunuch? Okay? Uh, eunuchs were men who had nothing to hide. Okay? That was, that was a bad joke. Um, they were actually men who had nothing to lose. Um, okay. I better stop before I have to fire myself. Uh, they never worked undercover. A eunuch... <laughs> A, a eunuch is a man who's been castrated, okay? And let me just say, in all seriousness, in Xerxes' kingdom, which is a picture of the world, men were castrated. And it goes on to say in verse 11, to bring Queen Vashti before the king with her royal crown. So, so in an effort to show how great and glorious he was, Xerxes had multiple wives and a harem filled with, with concubines and other women. He's in his mid-30s, and he would see uh, young women that he found attractive, and he would bring them into his harem. And sometimes women were chosen for political purpose. Uh, they were chosen for political purposes to expand his empire. For example, he would marry another king's daughter and make that king a political leader within his empire. Xerxes would overtake some nations, not by force, but through intermarriage. And can I just, let me just say something really quickly on that. That horrible things happen when a marriage is not built on love. When when we marry for sexual pleasure, for convenience, when we marry just for comfort, when we marry because there's money to be made, either by marrying an affluent spouse or marrying into a rich family. Anytime the motivation is financial or political or personal gratification, disaster will strike. If it's not built on love, crisis and many troubles are going to follow. So Xerxes would castrate these men serving in the harem to make sure that they wouldn't fall in love or try to have children with any of his women. That's why he did it. 
the only men allowed to serve in the presence of the harem and, the, and with the concubines were men who were castrated. So once again, Xerxes is a picture of the world, a picture of how Satan rules. We're trying to get an understanding of how Satan rules and how he works. Satan loves to feminize men. He loves to turn men into something that they're not. It sounds like another country that we really know well. And let me just add that when men are castrated, physically or spiritually, what follows on the heels of that is the abuse of women. When men are not doing the job that God called them to do, it hurts the women, it hurts the family, it hurts the country, and it hurts the kingdom of God. In Xerxes' kingdom, addictions were fed, men were castrated, and thirdly, in Xerxes' kingdom, women were abused. Xerxes is... He's seated on his throne, high and mighty. And at the conclusion of the six-month party, he makes a demand on his wife for the grand finale of the party. Here's the demand. To bring Queen Vashti before the king with her royal crown in order to show the peoples and the princes her beauty, for she was lovely to look at. Some ancient commentators say that he may have been asking her to wear only her crown. So Xerxes, he he handpicked Vashti because of her beauty. She was a beautiful woman. And he's drunk. He's, He's not in his right mind. And he decides to show off his beautiful wife. So he calls for the queen. And ladies, I think you would agree that this is not a good day for Queen Vashti. Her husband is hammered and he wants her to stroll in front of thousands of drunk soldiers wearing only a crown. You know, there may be some in here, come on, let's be real. There may be some in here, some that need to repent of sin who may think like Xerxes. This this kind of sounds like fun. And let me just say, Once you become a dad, everything changes. Fathers, if your daughter was in this situation, would you not be ready to fight to the death? So so let me ask, what's what's the queen going to do? The Bible says that wives are supposed to submit to their husbands, right? Is she supposed to submit to Xerxes in this situation? Should she obey his demand? Let's let's see what she does. Look at verse 12. But Queen Vashti refused to come at the king's command delivered by the eunuchs. I I almost want to start cheering at this moment. Like we're 12 verses into this chapter, into this book, and finally someone makes a good decision. And at this the king became enraged and his anger burned within him. So now Xerxes is not only drunk, but he's angry. That is not a good mixture. Not a good mixture at all. He's angry because he's humiliated. Nobody says no to me. 
Nobody. Let me, let me take just a quick time out. And I just want to consider this decision that Queen Vashti made. She made a very brave decision to stand up to a king that thinks he's God. Vashti made a noble, courageous, moral decision. She stood up to a guy when no one else would. No one ever said no to King Xerxes. They thought, if you remember, they thought he spoke with the voice of the sun. They thought he was a god. And Vashti says, no, he's not a god. He's just a nasty man asking me to do nasty things. Vashti made a good decision here. She made the right decision. And let me just, let me just use this as a teaching opportunity for us as a church. I want to I just challenge the fellas here in the room for just a minute. Let, let me just ask you a question, okay? What, what is your standard of beauty? What's your standard of beauty? Is it your wife? Fellas, your wife should be your standard of beauty. It doesn't matter if she's tall, short, skinny, not so skinny, long hair, short hair. Because see, God, God didn't give me a standard of beauty in the Scriptures that I can look to and say, oh, that's the standard, that's who I need to kind of marry, someone that looks like that. He didn't give that to us. He didn't give me a standard of beauty in the Scriptures. What He gave me was my wife. And that is my personal standard of beauty. Here's the problem. Xerxes thinks his wife is beautiful, which isn't the problem. But he wants to parade her in front of all the other men so they can lust after her, so they can compare their wives to her and become covetous of what he has. You know, church, that's exactly what pornography does. It, it gets men to, to compare their wife with other women. And then it causes your standard of beauty to become someone or something other than your wife. You know, the reality is, is, is time has changed. This book is over 2,000 years old, Esther. Times have changed, but the hearts of men haven't changed. Nothing's different. Men, your standard of beauty is your wife. Wives, your standard of beauty is your husband. So let's just, man, this is God's intention. This is God's plan. So practically, how does this look? Practically, it means if your spouse is tall, you're into tall. Okay? If your spouse is short, you're into short. If your spouse is skinny, you're into skinny. If your spouse is formally skinny, you're into formally skinny. Okay? <laughs> and here's the best one. If your husband has hair, you love hair. And if he loses his hair, you hate hair. Okay? The fact is, is your spouse is your standard of beauty. I'm just, man, that's, that's the way, that's what God intends, fellas. And secondly, guys, your, your wife isn't a trophy to be paraded around. You know, some men, they like to dress up their wives and parade them around so other men will be impressed with their trophy. That's a, man, that's a wicked thing to do. It's wicked. 
It's disrespectful. It's degrading. And and Vashti says, no, I'm not going to do that. She stands up for herself and her dignity. Men, we need to check our hearts. I'm I'm encouraging you. Check your heart. And I just want to ask, how are you treating your wife? How are you treating her? And are you loving her in a way that honors God? Lastly, what kind of example are you to your children? I know that it hasn't said a lot in the book of Esther about Xerxes' kids, but you know, outside sources said that he had a lot of children, a lot of sons. And I just have to say, man, you're setting, you're blazing a path for your children to follow. It's humbling to me. Humbling. It's scary sometimes. But you're blazing a path for your kids to follow. And if we're going to condemn Xerxes, you know, we're going to say, man, he was such a perverted dude and you know, we're really going to condemn him. We need to make sure we're not like him. You know, from swimsuit issues to the fashion industry to marketing to Hooters restaurants to Miss America. I mean, the list goes on and on and on and on. The temptation is all around us, guys. And a lot of men today are married, but they're in love with someone younger, someone more attractive. In a lot of marriages, it's, it's not about love. It's not about friendship. It's not about trust. It's not about respect. And I'm just saying, man, this, I'm trying to give us a wake-up call. I'm trying to just encourage us to say, man, this isn't right. Our hearts are inclined towards sin, just like Xerxes. And the, the fact is, is we fall in love with money. We fall in love with power. We love comfort. We become addicted to alcohol, to food, to sex. We're more like Xerxes than we realize. Ladies, let me give you a challenge as well. God God does call you to submit to your husbands. And I know for some of you, even hearing that is like pouring water on a cat. But submission, submission doesn't include sin. If your husband's asking you to disobey the Lord, to sin, you have every right to say no. Because above the king is the king of kings. Okay? This is the good news, church, of Christianity. Above your husband is the Lord of lords. The Bible does say, ladies, to respect, to obey, to honor your husband, to submit to him. But that same Bible also tells the husbands to love their wife like Christ loved the church. They should be willing to give their lives for you, to honor the Lord, to obey the Scriptures. That same Bible says that men should be under the authority of the elders in their church and they should be under the the law of the land. So, If your husband thinks he's all supreme and he's telling you to lie or to steal or to participate in evil, injustice or a crime, your answer should be a resounding no. No way. Ladies, sometimes the godliest thing to say is no. What Vashti did was noble. It was brave. It was right. I'm tempted. I know there's some ladies who have perfected the word no, and you need to kind of work on that too, right? But there's some of us, man, we're just, we're so afraid. 
to say no. And sadly, we live in a day where a lot of men want their wives to be objectified. For a marriage to be good and healthy, it has to be founded on love. It has to be founded on friendship and respect. Let's look at verse 13. Then the king said to the wise men, by the way, these were not wise men. Okay, these are a bunch of little minions. They were Xerxes' minions. So the king said to these wise men who knew the times, for this was the king's procedure toward all who were versed in law and judgment, the men next to him being uh, those guys who saw the king's face and set first in the kingdom. Okay? So these are the leaders who sit on their little thrones, you know, next to King Xerxes, their little minions um, overseeing a six-month drunken frat party. And then verse 15 says, According to the law, what is to be done to Queen Vashti? Because she has not performed the command of King Xerxes, delivered by the eunuchs. Uh Uh-oh. There's something building here. This is just crazy because we just read about a a six-month party with no rules, no laws. I mean, who knows how many people were killed at this party. But Queen Vashti says no. And now all of a sudden the leaders are going to get all official on us. Okay? A woman says no and it turns into an international crisis. This is the most powerful man in the world ruling over 3 million square miles and he can't handle his wife. And some of you guys are like, that explains my whole life. Minus all the land. It continues. Then Mimucan said in the presence of the king and the officials, not only against the king has Queen Vashti done wrong, but also against all the officials and all the peoples who are in the provinces of King Xerxes. I mean, this is a huge crisis now because Vashti said no. Stood up for herself. Stood up to an ungodly demand. And the leaders are afraid. Oh my goodness, if she said no, all the women are going to start saying no. Man, it's a little word, but it's a powerful one. Next thing you know, King Xerxes, listen, King Xerxes, next thing you know, all the women are going to start using this word. And then next thing you know, fools like us, we're not going to be able to get our way. What are we to do, King Xerxes? I don't know if you can hear it, but I can hear the desperation from these minions. For the queen's behavior, verse 17, will be made known to all women, causing them to look at their husbands with contempt, since they will say, King Xerxes commanded Queen Vashti to be brought before him, and she did not come. Can you see it? Like All these powerful men are in a panic. King, if we don't do something, they're going to start telling us no when we're trying to boss them around. So, so what, is, what does the queen do? Does she apologize? Does she send out a press release saying, okay, ladies, I was wrong to say no. Let's all go back to being married slaves. It's okay. I was wrong. Let's find out. Verse 18, This very day the noble women of Persia and Media who have heard of the queen's behavior will say the same to all the king's officials, and there will be contempt and wrath in plenty. 
Let me just say, any time a man has to impose or force a woman to respect him, it means they're not respectable. Okay, let me just say, men, if if you keep using all the uh, obey me verses in the Bible, it may just be that she doesn't respect you because you're not respectable. Man, my wife this, my wife that, my wife this, my wife that. What about you, son? Huh? Are you are you respectable? Are you living in a way that honors God? Of course she doesn't follow you, man. Like, look at yourself. It's kind of harsh, but it's the truth. You know what Xerxes could have done in this situation? This is like the big moment of the sermon, okay? You've got to get this. You know what he could have done in this situation? He could have admitted he was wrong, and he could have repented. Xerxes was wrong to treat his wife this way. And he could have admitted wrong, and he could have apologized, and he could have said, Honey, I'm sorry I was drunk. I shouldn't have been drunk. I should have never disrespected you the way I did. This was wrong. I was wrong. Please forgive me. You you know what you can do when you're wrong? The same thing. Friends, you can do the same thing. You can admit wrong. You can repent. You can apologize. You can make changes to get on the right path. But instead, Xerxes, like many of us, because of that ah, pride, he remained unrepentant. And once again, as we read the story, I just want to encourage us to continually ask ourselves, how am I like Xerxes? How am I self-righteous? How am I prideful? Do I want the world to rotate around me? Is it all about me? What kingdom am I trying to build? What, What areas of my life do I live in unrepentance? When we're wrong, we should repent. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're more powerful. You should repent. It doesn't matter if you're the boss. You should repent. It doesn't matter if you're the husband. You should repent to your wife. It doesn't matter if you're the parent. You should repent to your children. It doesn't matter if you're the pastor. You should repent to the congregation. It doesn't matter if you're the president. You should repent to the nation. If you're in charge, it doesn't mean you're always right. Good leadership is demonstrating humility. Good leadership is is demonstrating repentance. Xerxes is unrepentant, so what does he do? He starts to build a case. Because that's what unrepentant people do. They build cases against anyone and everyone. It becomes everybody else's fault. And the blame game begins. It's amazing how unrepentant people can build a case that sounds so convincing. Satan's not only a deceiver, you know what? He helps us to deceive ourselves. So here's what they say, verse 19. The minions speak again. It says, If it please the king, let the royal order go out from him and let it be written among the laws of the Persians and the Medes so that it may, be, may not uh, be repealed. 
So once a law is enacted or enforced uh, by the king, it's irreversible. It can't change. So let this law go out that Vashti is never again to come before King Xerxes. And I don't know about you, but to me this is kind of funny because Vashti just told the king that she wasn't going to come before him and now they made a law that she can never come before him. She's like, sweet, that's what I was hoping for. And let the king give her royal position to another who is better than she. So if you're looking at a play, you know the door opens for Esther to enter the scene. Their definition in this culture, sometimes in our culture, of a good wife is one who remains silent and just does what she's told. Church, in Genesis chapter 2, the wife was originally created by God to be a helper. And ladies, don't be offended at that word because the Holy Spirit, God himself, refers to himself as a helper. It's a high, honorable word. It's not a disgraceful word. But a wife who always says nothing is not very helpful. Xerxes doesn't want a helper or a friend. He wants an obedient pet. That's what he wants. Full obedience is something you want from a dog or a horse, not a wife. Verse 20. So when the decree made by the king is proclaimed throughout all his kingdom, for it is vast, they're bragging on him, they're trying to butter him up, all women will give honor to their husbands, high and low alike. Like they think a simple vote or a law is going to change the behavior of the people. Mistakes being made in our same country. These guys are they are idiots. The best way for a man to get his wife to show him honor and respect is to be honorable and respectable. But this advice pleased the king because he's an idiot. And the princes and the king did as Mimukin proposed. He sent letters to all the royal provinces, to every province in its own script, and to every people in its own language, that every man be master. The Hebrew word for that word master means to have ultimate dominion in his own household and to speak according to the language of his people. So so Xerxes sends out a law that's wrong, that's unholy. He's trying to turn women into cattle that can be controlled and completely dominated. Now listen, there's a difference between that which is legal and that which is holy. Like something something can be acceptable in the state's eyes and unacceptable in the Lord's eyes. Let me give you a few examples. Adultery is not a crime, but it's a sin. Murder of the unborn is not a crime, but it's a sin. The redefining of marriage is not a crime, but it's a sin. Like the state can make all kinds of laws, but we got to remember that we answer to a higher power. We answer to a higher law. It's the only, it's only the laws of God that are always right. God never makes a mistake. Only God is unchanging. Only God is perfect. The laws of the state, man, they're always changing. But we, like Xerxes, you know, we, we, we're always trying to interpret or change the laws God has already given. And what we need to do, church, what I'm encouraging us to do is to repent and to obey 
What we need to do is to repent and to obey the Lord. Xerxes was the greatest king in the history of the world to his day. But every generation since has chased the same foolish myth. If we could just get a good king, if we could just have a good kingdom, then everything would be better. And we would have heavenly life on this fallen world. But it doesn't matter, church. It doesn't matter if his name is Xerxes or if his name is Pharaoh or Nero or Hitler or Obama. It doesn't matter if they assume the throne or if they're elected to the throne. It doesn't matter who's in charge. When fallen sinners sit on the throne, you'll never get a perfect kingdom, ever. You'll never get a glorious kingdom. And some of us, man, we're we're so brash to think, if I could just sit on the throne, man, I would have a glorious kingdom. No, no, you wouldn't. You would do the same thing Xerxes did if given the opportunity or the power. Man, this begs the question, is there more hope than this? Is is there a better king? Is there a perfect king? Is Is there a better kingdom? Is there any justice Will the true king ever come? You know, Esther is one of the last books written in the Old Testament. And then what followed the book of Esther was 400 years of silence. Man, the heart of God's people is aching and hurting and yearning. They're in exile. They're in slavery. And they're asking, where is the king? Where is the king? And as children of God, as followers of Jesus Christ, as Christians, we're part of a greater kingdom. We serve a greater king. He's high. He's exalted. He's seated on a throne and he does something. Our king does something that Xerxes never did. He got off his throne Our God got off His throne and He came down to this confused, fallen war zone called earth. Not to take, but to give. And He came not to enslave us, but to free us. There's a better kingdom. There's a better king. Xerxes sat on his throne and he was just feeding sin. He was just feeding addictions. Our King Jesus got off His throne to forgive sin. Amen, church? Xerxes, he gave people what they want, but King Jesus gives people what they need. Xerxes paraded his wife around disgracefully, but King Jesus, at the end of time, will present his bride, the church, spotless and pure and glorious. Xerxes died and his people died, but King Jesus rose from death and his people followers of Jesus Christ will rise to be with Him forever. Xerxes' kingdom came to an end, but the kingdom of God has no end. So let me ask you, church, let me ask you a question. Which kingdom are you giving your life to? Which kingdom are you serving? Which kingdom are you sold out for? 
kingdom of this world, just building up riches. Ah, my glorious kingdom. When you die, you can take none of it with you. Or are you building up the kingdom of God? The scripture says, neither moth nor dust corrupt. It's riches that last forever. Which kingdom are you sold out to? I just have to I have to end this sermon by just saying, church, like let's live our lives in a way that honors our great King Jesus Christ. Let's, let's sell out to him. Let's go all in with him. Let's give our best to him. Let's let's give our children to him. Let's give our riches to him. Let's give our creativity to him. Let's give our talents, our best ideas. Let's give it to Him. Let's build the kingdom of God here on earth. Lord Jesus, You are high and exalted. The nations surround You and they cry out in worship to You night and day. The angels worship You. Lord Jesus, You alone are the King of kings. Your kingdom is coming and Your kingdom will never end. Lord Jesus, I just pray right now that you would keep us hungry for more. For more of your kingdom, for more of your glory, for more of your presence. I pray that we would never just become satisfied or in a rut or just complacent. Lord Jesus, it's my prayer that every decision we make would bring you honor. Lord Jesus, you are a better king. You provide a much better kingdom. To that we say, Amen. Amen. Church, and the musicians are going to play a song, a very powerful song that's it's called Only King Forever. And I just want you to just sit, meditate, feel free to close your eyes and pray. We're going to have a chance to sing along a little bit later. I just want you to just stay seated. Just, man, just let this song minister to you. Reflect on the words. Reflect on the message. Let let the Holy Spirit do do His work in your life. And I think this could just be a really uh, sweet time for us as a church to just be encouraged, to be strengthened, to be convicted, to maybe use this time to repent. Listen to the song. It's it's going to minister to you. It's a great song. Our God, firm foundation. Our rock, the only solid ground. The nations rise and fall. Kingdoms once strong, now shaken. We trust forever in your name. The name of Jesus. We trust the name of Jesus. The only King forever, Almighty God, we lift you higher. You are the only King forever, forevermore. You are victorious. You are the only King forever, Almighty God, we lift you higher. You are the only King forever, forevermore. You are victorious.
Enriched in all your wisdom In love and justice you will reign And every knee will bow We bring our expectations Our hope is anchored in your name The name of Jesus We trust Mighty God, we lift you higher. 